Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. This is Richard. Every once in a while, my co-host Adam and I like to dive deep into specific topics or technologies. Recently, the Z-Wave Alliance had a few interesting announcements that we want to explore, including a move to becoming a true not-for-profit standards development group and a new spec for long-range Z-Wave devices. I'm excited that Mitch Klein, the executive director of the Z-Wave Alliance, joined us to parse through this news and discuss the state of Z-Wave in the industry. As he always is, Mitch is delightfully candid and informative. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense, and welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Richard Gunther, from the Digital Media Zone. And today, we're also joined by the executive director of the Z-Wave Alliance, Mitch Klein. Welcome, Mitch. Glad to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. This is great to have you here. You know, I think the last time we spoke was almost exactly two years ago at Cedia 18. My, how time flies. Unbelievable. <laughs> and yeah, that could be. Wow. Oh, you know what? No, that's probably not true. We probably have seen each other at a couple of CESs. I keep forgetting that CES happened this year. It did. And, and actually, you know, now that you mentioned it, I'm pretty sure we did at least get a chance to, to chat yep. way back when, when you were allowed to actually go to places and things like that. Way back when. And mm. you had some interesting stuff going on there. You had just made an announcement, I believe, about uh, open sourcing the or, or making the standard an open standard is probably a better way right. of putting that. And we'll talk a little bit about all of that stuff. But before we get started, we start each show with a question for each other. And my question to Adam this week is, how do you consume tech news generally? In other words, like what what sources or, or what medium do you rely on for getting smart about technology? It's a variety of things. I would say I have a few key ones that are in my everyday rotation. I'm a big fan of The Verge. Um, so that's usually one of the places I'll, I'll read in the morning. Also, a uh, huge Apple nerd. So I read uh, Mac <laughs> rumors a lot for, for that as well as some of the nine to five stuff. And then uh, Twitter for, for everything else is kind of as stories come up and things like that. It's, it's stuff I see on Twitter. Hmm. Okay. All right. How about you? Well, I, you know, I used to be a big RSS reader guy. So when Google reader was around, I would rely on that largely. And I had subscribed to updates from various different tech resources these days, I rely on Flipboard for pretty much the same, for aggregating and finding sources about smart home and other tech news. But I would say probably my top source of tech news is podcasts. I listen to podcasts pretty much all day long. <laughs> if I'm not writing, then I'm usually listening to a podcast while I'm working. And most of them are technical in nature. So I don't know, Mitch, you want to get in on this? You have any insight that we're missing? Uh, I don't know if I'd call them insights, but uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm also with you, uh, Adam, on The Verge, and also Richard with you with Flipboard. I Absolutely. Uh, because that's, that just comes at you. You don't have a choice. But I also like the ambient, um, where they tend to talk about um, and in-depth about different products and technologies. And believe it or not, I use LinkedIn. Because mm. if you link yep. in with some of the the right providers, sometimes there's interesting news. And you mix it all in, and it's at some point, you get a lot of good output. That's a good point. I forgot about LinkedIn. I use that mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. I started relying on that 
quite a bit when I went independent. Yeah, so it's not just a social networking opportunity, which, of course, I think that's pretty effective, too. Although although these days, it seems like everyone from China and Russia wants to link in with me. And uh, I guess I won't get into politics, but I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with business. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for that. Um, so if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, you can send a question on Twitter using the hashtag Ask Adam and Richard. All right. So um, we are, of course, today going to talk about Z-Wave and the Z-Wave Alliance um, with our guest, Mitch, here. I think to start out, let's talk about some of the basics. Mitch, can you tell us a little, what is Z-Wave? Is it a protocol, a standard, a radio, all of the above? Uh, I'll go with C, all of the above. <laughs> As uh, you know, obviously, uh, the smart home is getting more and more popular, and there's a lot of uh, good brands and uh, devices out there. And Z-Wave has been around, uh, really kind of launched almost uh, more than 16 years ago. And it, it is the platform for devices to communicate with each other and actually understand each other's communications and then do something about that communication. Okay, so hence, I guess we call that a protocol. The uh, standard was developed specifically for the smart home, and it was developed to be a, let's see, a fully compatible, interoperable platform. So no matter which brand of products that you select, it will actually work with your Z-Wave ecosystem. So I threw a couple of terms out there. Ecosystem. When we talk about an ecosystem, for us, that's essentially our partners, or I like to call it our community of devices that are all developed to, to basically to work together, to work with each other, to communicate with each other. So if you have a particular home where, let's say, you want to put a door lock in the front door and the Yale is the right one for you, it looks right, it operates the way you like, but for the side door, you want to put in one of these new August locks, and perhaps in the back, maybe the uh, the quick set's the right one for you. And if you're on Z-Wave and you're getting Z-Wave devices, these will all actually operate together. So in your application, you just basically say, okay, good night, hit the good night button, and all of the three locks will make sure that they're, the doors close and the locks are engaged. So that sounds like a wonderful thing. And it is, and it works exceptionally well. And Z-Wave really got its ground in the security market. So whether you're ADT or Qualsys or Vivint, and again, I'm not necessarily leaving any brands out intentionally or using the ring lock or what have you, they've all adopted Z-Wave as the standard for communication between the different devices. Hopefully that kind of gives you an idea as to what it's all about. And what's the affiliation with Silicon Labs as far as Z-Wave goes in the Alliance? Okay. Yeah, I think uh, just a little a brief bit of history on that. So Z-Wave was originally developed by a company out of Copenhagen called Zensys. And, uh, you know, Zen Systems was the idea that, you know, everything works. Ah, this is a Zen experience. <laughs> hence Zensys. And hence the Z-Wave, right? That's where the Z came from. It got bought out by a company called Sigma Designs. Um, and Sigma Designs essentially, uh, as a relatively modest-sized company, focused strictly on the smart home and eventually sold Z-Wave to Silicon Labs. Uh, this is a little over two years ago. Silicon Labs, as you may or may not know, is a really fabulous company uh, based out of Austin, Texas, with headquarters all over the world. And Silicon Labs uh, is the number one provider of Zigbee chips and also provides Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. So they're really well-known for being kind of the leader in the wireless smart home uh, business. And by adding in Z-Wave, that kind of cemented that relationship. What it also did at the time was it provided a much larger engineering background, engineering and developers, so that the Z-Wave standard could be basically uh, enhanced, that the new chips could get out much sooner and supported by a much larger uh, company worth of engineers and, and apps folks. So that's kind of the relationship. Um, so you have one company that can essentially open up their playbook and determine based on 
you know, what type of products you're developing, what type of market you want to go after, what kind of ecosystem do you want to partner with? They can then say, okay, you want to use Z-Wave? That's right for this one, or Zigbee might be right for that one, or even developing further with uh, the so-called chip, which we'll get into in a little bit later as well. As far as different markets go, where does Z-Wave typically go? Consumer, pro, providers? Again, great question. Uh, Z-Wave has been very successful within the security and the service provider market. So generally speaking, Z-Wave lands on the side of the commercially installed, professionally installed product. It's not as widely available in your local hardware stores or you know your big box uh, Home Depots and Lowe's. But of course, you can always find the products on online. There's a variety of ways to do it. Obviously, Amazon being just one of them. So that's kind of where Z-Wave has made its mark is on, on the professionally installed systems. Interesting that you say that it's not really in big box stores. And yet, I you know, occasionally do see, for example, GE is probably the best example. Jasco GE products are often in different stores and, and Lutron, no, not Lutron, Leviton is another one Leviton, that right. tends to have the Z-Wave products available at like Home Depot or something like that. So they are out there. Oh, no question about it. I don't mean to, to downplay it at all. I'm just saying that the real market for for the products has been on the professionally installed, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Jasco is a huge supporter of Z-Wave and, you know, the, the two brands that they're building, you know, GE, as you mentioned, and they also build the Honeywell line of lighting devices all with Z-Wave. So very much true. And they're kind of, um, in one way, I want to say radio agnostic, but it, it's almost the other way around. It's like they're radio promiscuous. Like they, <laughs> they, those are brands that try to support as many different options for consumers as possible. Yeah, actually, it's funny, a uh, little anecdote. Uh, when I first really got involved with the Z-Wave Alliance, uh, I had one of our members kind of email me and just said that uh, they had just met with the uh, one of the buyers at Walmart. And the buyer at Walmart really wanted them to build Bluetooth devices, not Z-Wave. You know, how do we want to handle this? And so we had a little chat about that. And I, and I'm not, a, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Literally an hour later, I got an email from another one of our members going, Hey, I just met with, uh, with the buyers at Walmart and, you know, we build Bluetooth devices. They're saying that they want Z-Wave. You know, how do I get involved with Z-Wave? So, <laughs> you know, a lot of what gets done is dependent on where the demand is. So it's very hard to say, hey, you know, you want Z-Wave to, you know, really build that brand. You know, think about things like uh, a Got Milk campaign, right, where where they spent something like $86 million to build this brand, you know, build this milk, Got Milk brand, and milk consumption went down after spending 86 mil. Z-Wave doesn't have anywhere near 86 mil. So to be able to communicate the benefits of Z-Wave and why you want to buy Z-Wave into the consumer's mind is a task that's just insurmountable. And it's really up at this point to the outlets, the retail outlets, as well as the manufacturers to drive it. And in reality, it's not us that can drive it. And that's why when you're a company like Jasco and you build really high quality products and you're in that meeting with Walmart and the Walmart buyer says, I want Bluetooth and here's my order for Bluetooth. If you're Jasco, you go, you got it. When do you want it? I mean, and that's unfortunately, that is the reality behind why there's so much confusion right now within that smart home space and you know, what works with what and what pla what's a platform? Why do I need to know what a platform is, right? Yeah, and, and unfortunately, I feel like we're still at the point where retails and buyers in particular need to be better educated on the, the benefits of the different platforms and, and why you might want one for one thing and another for a, a, a different thing. And it's... Mm -hmm. It it's a messy landscape. I, I know I've spoken with you many times about just how what a mess retail is. So the, I think the fact that you have such uh, ground laid with installers and providers and other things is is a really good benefit because you're not having to depend on 
that mess as your primary source of business for your members. That's a a very true statement. I was in a Best Buy a few days ago. And, you know, there's a really great success story, just kind of as a little diversion, right? Everyone said, oh, you know, they're going to die. They've done some wonderful things, you know, to actually be growing the business. And I walked down that kind of their smart home area, and they've obviously got each of their vendors to supply them with a similar looking type of display. And you can walk down there and the displays are very engaging. Yeah, this is really cool. But there's no way when you're standing in front of the singlet LED section and the Philips Hue section, and then they've got the uh, the smart things about how these things would even interoperate. Right. You know, it's great. It's cool stuff. But, you know, how does this all work? Uh, so, yeah. yeah, retail has its challenges. Well, and for the, you know, everyday Joe Schmo consumer, they, they don't have a hope of understanding that kind of stuff. And, and it's hard to communicate that message. Yeah, that's really true. And again, Best Buy's doing their thing, you know, and they're doing the best they can. But yeah, we'll see where that goes. Right now, it still remains kind of a hobbyist. So either it's someone who's willing to do a little bit of homework and, you know, bring in the right products and or it's professionally installed. And then the consumer really is, fortunately for them, not engaged with what platform, what works with what, but the professional installer can take care of that for them based on the outcomes they want, not the platforms they want. The other one I'd throw in the mix, you, you mentioned earlier, Ring. I would say Ring is a kind of a third category of that where, yes, we know that Z-Wave is what powers it, but, you know, really it's it's more of a proprietary device that, um, you know, they're, they're kind of taking that out of the equation and just saying, hey, if you buy Ring security stuff, it's going to work. Yeah, welcome to my frustrations. You know, uh, we have Ring, which is a huge supporter of, of Z-Wave. We have other companies as well, and they don't advertise it as, as Z-Wave. So you have no way, <laughs> really no way of knowing. So I, I agree with you, Adam. That's, that's quite a challenge. So uh, the next thing we wanted to talk about, the Alliance is now a nonprofit um, standards development organization. Tell us a little bit about that. How does that change things for consumers, members, the industry? Great question. So I just have to go back a little bit again to when uh, Sigma Designs had Z-Wave and they they had all these different companies building product and felt that, okay, what we really need to do is kind of build this communication and build this community. And so they launched this thing we call the Z-Wave Alliance back then. And the whole purpose of the Z-Wave Alliance when it was first launched was to be that community, to be that go-to-market kind of community to engage members. And, you know, uh, and obviously it was very successful. And yet all the technology behind it was still closely held and developed entirely by Sigma Designs. So Sigma Designs then sells the, uh, the Z-Wave product and technology to Silicon Labs and again, the Z-Wave Alliance at this point is still a go-to-market organization where all the technology is developed internally within Silicon Labs. So it reached a point where uh, Silicon Labs can only do just so much, right? You've got one company. We're at the point now where we're on the precipice of really hitting something big, and there are other verticals. So you've got Z-Wave that is totally focused on the smart home, and yet there are very viable options for smart cities, uh, for industrial, for commercial, for corporate. And there are also plenty of markets and companies that really can't do business with a single source supplier. So when you add in all these things, okay, how do we address these different marketplaces? How do we really grow the opportunities beyond what we can do with our own internal engineering and software development? And it became a very compelling argument to say, let's spin off the Z-Wave technology and spin off the Z-Wave Alliance and let's make it a full-blown standards development organization which is something like, well, it's what Zigbee does, it's what Wi-Fi does, what Bluetooth, whereby you have an independent organization, you have your members basically pitching in to forward the technology, to do more development with it. And at the same time, then you have additional silicon companies that can come in and build different silicon. 
which then can create a little bit more competition, which is not necessarily what Scilabs wants. But by having the additional competition, you can now open up other markets when we talk geographically and also vertically, whereby clearly there are opportunities outside of the smart home where Z-Wave is the appropriate platform. So we are now totally independent. We are not owned by Silicon Labs anymore. I am still a Silicon Labs employee. So as the executive director of the Z-Wave Alliance, I'm a volunteer. Right? So I volunteer my time into the Z-Wave Alliance. And there's now a completely new board of directors who really run the organization and uh, are, well, we've got a lot more things to talk about. I guess we'll get into uh, at a later date in terms of some of the things that the organization is planning to do and it's already already announced. You may not know some of the background of, about me and my company, but sort of how, how this show, part of this show works is, you know, I'm in, you know, Richard's more on the uh, media side. I actually run a, a smart home company and uh, for us, you know, one of the, re- one of the downsides of Z-Wave that kind of always kept us away from it was that single source um, thing, you know, in, in business, you all always want competition to to drive prices lower and things like that so you know for me as a a business owner that announcement certainly opened my eyes more to the technology as something that you know maybe we would be more interested in going forward knowing that there would be more competition in the market rather, rather than a single source so that was a big deal to me yeah i mean that's very true in terms of the the chip you know the the modules or the chips or however you wish to purchase it from an ecosystem perspective. I think that's also good. It will bring more and more companies in, but you still always had a very wide choice of products. Um, so even though the mandate w- it was and will continue to be interoperable and backwards compatible, which are two you know, uh, foundational assets that the Z-Wave Alliance will continue to maintain. So, yeah, we'll continue to broaden. And I think you're absolutely right. It'll, it'll open up more opportunities for, for companies like yours and, and as, as well as for other verticals. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's important. And the, the testing aspect of, of Z-Wave has always stuck out to me, too, that that, that certification basically says to somebody, if you buy a Z-Wave product, it's going to work with everything else. Whereas, you know, other standards like Bluetooth, that's just a total mess and a lot of proprietary stuff. And Zigbee can even be that way a little bit. And so that's certainly one of the strengths of, of what you have with, with Z-Wave. No doubt that is a mandate, you know, and I always kind of joke, you know, Zigbee, uh, I think I, I have a great respect for what Zigbee is, and there's a lot of reasons why Zigbee has, it's appropriate for uh, certain applications, but you also have so many different flavors of it. Just because you have a Zigbee thing doesn't mean it'll work in your Zigbee system, you know, and it's kind of like uh, a camel is a horse designed by a special interest group, and that's kind of <laughs> what you <laughs> what you have with, uh, with, with Zigbee. You've just got a lot of different versions of it. Yeah. Well, and along those lines, the other thing that I think is interesting about Z-Wave is that a Z-Wave device is going to be able to work almost in spite of what happens to the company that originally created it, right? Like you could buy a a Z-Wave device from a company that maybe five years from now doesn't exist anymore. But that device, in theory, should work just fine as long as you have it connected to some Z-Wave controller. You're not dependent on anyone to maintain an infrastructure somewhere in the cloud or wherever to ensure that you can still communicate with that device. And that's a big win, I think. That's exactly correct, Richard. And if you've had one of the very first Z-Wave devices out there, it will continue op- to operate no matter where the uh, organization takes the technology because backwards compatibility is key. And the reality is, you know, you think about it, it's like, okay, if I, I go out and I buy a, a, a Z-Wave door lock, right? And I put that door lock in, what's the likelihood I'm going to go and replace that in there in a year like I do with my cell phone? I, I'm fine <laughs> changing my cell phone every year, right? Or two years. 
but I'm not going to go replace that door lock I just put in. And so backwards compatibility has always been a hallmark and will continue to be such. All right. Next, we wanted to talk about uh, Silicon Labs as being a player in the new connected home over IP or chip thing. So what's the uh, what's the hardware player play there? And um, is there a Z-Wave Alliance role there or is do you see this as competition? Uh, let me take the last part first, okay, in terms of is it competition. So there are a lot of unanswered questions within this whole, you know, connected home over IP with CHIP. And for those of your listeners that aren't quite sure what that's all about, um, basically that's the coming together of Apple, Amazon, Google, Samsung, uh, Comcast, and about 140 other companies, including Silicon Labs, including NXP, including other semiconductor companies, Texas Instruments, that have said, you know, we have to address how do we grow this marketplace bigger. And so they're looking at, at how it is that devices will actually understand each other's language when they talk to each other. We call that the application layer. And that's kind of what CHIP is all about. They're, they're you know, working on the application layer. Silicon Labs is very vested in that development as well. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, all of the development is so far available on GitHub. And other than Apple and Google, uh, Silicon Labs is like the third or fourth biggest contributor to that GitHub. So obviously, Silicon Labs were, were totally behind it. What is not necessarily clear is to what extent is the network layer going to be mandated? We already know that the plan is for uh, chip to be IP-based, IPv6, for those of you that are familiar with the difference of four versus IPv6. Uh, so they're talking about using thread or Wi-Fi as the methodology to get to transmit and communicate uh, the content back and forth between different devices. So when we look at what Z-Wave does, Z-Wave is a sub-gigahertz standard versus where you're at a much higher frequency for Wi-Fi and thread. And sub-gig is clearly the best technology to communicate between devices within a home or a building because it has better transmission properties through building materials. So sub-gig is a way to go for that. Uh, chip at this point is not addressing sub-gig. We do expect at some point it may look at it. But there's also going to be a requirement for some type of bridging. I know I hate the term. Users hate that term because that means there's another thing in your system. But the reality <laughs> is if we have an application layer that says, I don't care, buy whatever device you want, then you still may need to have some type of network bridge for devices to, to actually send and receive even though they can understand each other's language. So based on that, we don't see CHIP as a threat. We see it as a huge opportunity for Z-Wave to move forward within that environment, as well as uh, we love what, what CHIP is doing. And I truly hope that it is very successful. I don't know if that, that helped explain where, where we are with it. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting because yeah, I think there's so much attention on this project right now, even though so little is known about it. And I believe the likely reason for that attention is that we all recognize this interoperability problem as being probably the biggest hurdle in the industry right now. Right. You know, it's kind of funny. You've all seen that, uh, the cartoon that shows two folks talking, you know, there are so many different standards. Nothing ever talks to each other. I know we'll invent another one. Now there's yet another standard right? <laughs> right. that no one, that no one addresses. Um, but the fact that we have the horsepower of some of the largest uh, tech companies in tech says that at some point, there will be some agreement. There will be something sent out. Now, does that mean you'll have two different flavors? You're going to have an Apple flavor and a Google flavor of chip? Maybe. Amazon's all in on chip, and yet they're also all in on their sidewalk uh, concept. So, Yeah. Well, and again, that's, that's sub-gigahertz, though, isn't it? Because Yes. So, and, Amazon Sidewalk, yes, is sub-gig, yes. And interestingly enough, 
I mean, the the Zigbee Alliance, their stuff is also sub gigahertz. So, is it not? No, actually, uh, Zigbee is all two point four gigahertz. Is it really okay? Just I, like Wi Fi, just it. like Bluetooth. You know, the reason is because it's an unlicensed band and it's available at that exact same frequency globally. Whereas, you know, one of the downsides to sub gig is that well, you have regional differences. So if you build a Z-Wave device or a sub-gig, any sub-gig device for, so say, the North American market, you, you have to have a different radio <laughs> right, frequency right. for Europe, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why 2.4 has been so successful, because it's one and it's global. Yep, that makes sense. What frequency is it in North America? Uh, sub-gig, I don't have the exact. It's 9-something. 9-14, isn't it? You know what? You got me. I think <laughs> I it's 9-14 it or 941 or something like that, if I, if I remember yeah, I think correctly. So. Okay. Right. It's 868 in Europe. or Anyway, yeah. So there, there's slight differences, but they're all sub-gig. You didn't know there was going to be a test today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> all right. You mentioned a little bit about the... Uh, the smart home B word of bridge, but uh, you know, whether they're bridges hubs, we wanted to talk a little bit about kind of some of the Mm -hmm. stagnation in, in that space. So, you know, does stagnation of consumer hubs present a challenge? We've had, you know, some of these players like Staples connect, wink, revolve, die. We've got new ones coming up like ring alarm. And then there's some that are going strong, like Hubitat, smart things. Um, yeah, that's an unfortunate reality behind all of this. I mean, Revolve was bought under, you know, uh, uh, big fanfare mm-hmm. by Google, right? Yep. Uh, and really what they were buying wasn't Revolve. They wanted the engineers. Right. So they basically immediately bricked all of the Revolve devices out there. And then Nest did the same thing, right? I mean, Google took Nest and said, okay, hey, all of the Nest partners, sorry, we're not going to work with you anymore. We're going to move it all over to the Google Weave side, right? And they bricked, potentially bricked a bunch of Nest products, which obviously there was enough of an outcry by their by the product owners that they opted not to do that. But still, yeah, th- that's very true. And I think if we look at where some of stuff's going, like again, a Samsung, and I, I love going back to them, smart things, because they're the ones that are really saying, you know, we got to keep this chart going and we're going to be your your gateway to all of the devices you want to own in your home. Hence the term gateway. Uh, So, yeah, I hate to to take sides and say that, you know, I'm a big fan of what Samsung's doing, but there's a good reason for that. And they're, they're recognizing that consumers that own products don't want them to stop working. (laughs) Actually, you know, uh, they recognize they've done a really nice job of of keeping things moving forward. You could probably argue that they've done the best job of any of the companies out there in helping consumers who are interested in this stuff understand the value of having this device in their home that acts as the central controller of stuff. And they've gone so far as to create a roadmap where they can build that controller into other Samsung products. So maybe you don't have to actually go out and buy, and this is what's so absurd about this, right? People are so opposed to hubs. They don't want to spend $60 on hub, but it's okay if you put it in my $2,500 refrigerator or, (laughs) you know, my $900 range or whatever else. Sure. That makes sense to me. And as absurd as that is, Samsung kind of gets that. So they're trying to hit it from all angles. Yeah, perception is reality, isn't it? Yeah, for quite a while there, there was this, you know, uh, ding dong, the bridge is dead, right? Long live the bridge. <laughs> so uh, what's what's happened is you are seeing companies that are building this so-called gateway thing into multifunction devices. So instead of just having a thing you pay $60 for, which again, it's beyond me why people resist it, but okay, if you do, but now you see that type of a gateway being built into a thermostat, or you're seeing it built into a TV or built into a smart speaker. So like I said, ding dong, the the gateway's dead. Long live the gateway. It's still there. Yeah. I always like that 
kind of Trojan horse concept of, you know, rather than selling people a, a separate bridge, mm-hmm. uh, you just build it into a device. And I think if you have the right device that can support that, it makes sense to me. Well, and that's kind of the approach that Ring has taken with the Ring alarm system. When they came out with that, it was not really known what all was in there. And when I started talking with Jamie and we started talking about the different radios, I'm like, wait a minute, you have you have this and this and yeah, they're just not lit up yet. Someday we'll use them someday. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are some uh, large service providers, you know, one being Verizon that, uh, you know, puts Z-Wave in, in close to millions of, of uh, gateways or what you call boxes out there, but never lit them up. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of that. <laughs> Keep Silicon Labs happy, at least. Well, for a while, but, you know, when, the, when they're not lit up, it's like, you know, okay, we made a, we sold a couple million chips, but, you know, we that's really not the end goal, right? You can sell a lot more than those. <laughs> you want to sell the True. devices to work with those radios. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors, and then we'll be right back with more smart home discussion. And we're going to dive into some of the stuff that you're working on more recently. Now that we've kind of laid the foundation for what Z-Wave is and what it can do and where it is. I wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about some of the newer technologies that you've rolled out over the last few years and kind of revisit them. How are they doing? What do they actually add to the, to the products that use them? And, and what do they mean for consumers? And then talk a little bit more about your most recent announcement, which is Z-Wave long range. But before we get there, let's, let's, Turn back the clock a little bit and let's talk about one of the things that's been out for a little while now, the 700 series that you announced. Was it two years ago? Do I have that right? Yeah, I think it was maybe a little more than that. Um, but yes, at a, at the CES, uh, maybe it was a 2018 CES a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it might have been. So let's, and because, you know, obviously we're still in March in 2020 anyway, so, you know, it doesn't really seem that long now anyway. The first question that I want to ask, just so that we have some concept of, of what this is, like when when you rolled up the 700 series, I think a lot of people were like, well, well wait a minute, what, what, what does that, are there different versions of Z-Wave or how does this stuff work? So can you kind of just give us a little bit of background on, First of all, what are these different series that have come out over the years? And what does that really mean for consumers and manufacturers? Great question. And the good news is the consumer doesn't have to worry about that uh, because of this whole thing about backwards compatibility. So here's what happens. So when you, you build the platform and we do mandate a backwards compatibility, we have that requirement then from an engineering perspective, that's a huge challenge because it's very hard to move to progress the technology further while at the same time mandating this, this, this backwards compatibility. So how do you do that? Well, the best way to do that is to move up to a, another product, if you will, that enables you to build upon the existing platform. We did that when we went from the 300 to the 500 series. If you've ever looked at a box that says Z-Wave Plus, that Z-Wave Plus told you, yeah, you have the newest chip, the newest 500 series that was moved forward for a variety of reasons. You know, you've got additional memory capability, and, and which means now you can communicate quicker, faster, things like that. So how do you build on pop on top of that? Well, what we did was we then developed this thing we called S2 Security, which fortunately for us uh, was well before there was this whole outcry about hacking and everything, hacking my smart home. And we mandated S2, and it could only work in something as advanced as, we'll call it, as the 500 chip. Now, we want to go beyond that. How do we go beyond that? We wanted to do this thing called Smart Start. We want to do other things. So you need to come up with a chip that now can go even further, even greater memory capacity. In the case of the 700, now we brought it up to the point we've got an ARM processor in all of our 700 chips. So now you've got bigger, faster, and smaller at the same time. What, how do you get bigger, faster, and smaller? 
uh, bigger in terms of memory and speed, right? And in terms of the ability to layer on yet more technology on top of the existing platform. And then uh, the ability at that point to take things to a much greater level in terms of communication, in terms of building larger systems on it. So that's kind of what the 700 was all about. When Sigma Designs uh, kind of announced the 700, uh, it was a little early on the stage in terms of developing the chip. The good news for all of the Z-Wave um, Alliance members and all of Z-Wave customers is that when Silicon Labs acquired uh, Sigma Designs, they were able to take all this stuff that was developed in process for the 700 and put it right on top of the existing Silicon Labs platform or what was called the, the Gecko platform and literally came out with that product within nine months, which was absolutely mind boggling. Wow. Yeah. And so with the 700, again, you've got the bigger, the faster, the smaller physical size, coin, coin cell operation, giving you the ability to get upwards of 10 years. So there's all kinds of really cool things that as a consumer, you don't have to worry about it because whatever product you buy today is going to work with your existing stuff. But the go forward means that now we can add on additional features, additional functions, which perhaps weren't possible on some of the older versions. So the impact for a consumer is that you potentially get much more powerful consumer products from the manufacturers. The impact for the manufacturer Correct. is that they have a better platform to build upon. I guess the do you just kind of deprecate the old series? And if you're building for Z-Wave today, the you just assume you're going to start with 700? If you're starting today, absolutely. You would, you would definitely start with a 700. We do deprecate, but we do that over a long period of time. And the reason for that is you've got manufacturers that have really built products. And if we deprecate too quickly, then it means they actually have to go in and change the boards and actually change their products. So we wouldn't do that to our manufacturers. We wouldn't. We would definitely tell them as you start developing new products, you should be using the new platform. But uh, we don't. We deprecated the 300 series only. I want to say a couple of years ago. You know, that was a 15 year old uh, platform. But again, in theory, if you have a security system from your provider with years old sensors that have been installed you know, a good long while ago, they may be on that 300 chip. That's okay. They're still going to work, right? Yes, correct. Exactly right. And then perhaps as they, they provide you with new ones, now you've got the 700, which is, again, bigger, faster, smaller. All right. So let's talk about S2. You brought that up. It's, it's a, a secu- I don't, I don't know if you call it a security layer, a security protocol, but you know, to be completely blunt, I have heard, and this infuriates me when I hear people say stuff like this just blindly, but I've heard people say, well, well, Z-Wave just isn't secure. So, I, I mean, I tend to believe that's a bunch of bunk. But, so yeah. S2 obviously goes a long way to address any security concerns that people had, but Tell us a little bit about what specifically this added to the platform and why this addresses the security concerns that most consumers should have and manufacturers as well. Right. Well, first of all, let me state that that Z-Wave has never been hacked. And I'm having asterisk on that because, of course, you know, uh, white hat hackers and others have managed to do to hack it in a lab. But in terms of actually real stories of real life Z-Wave being hacked, that has never happened. Uh, so to say it's insecure, unsecure would be false. So first of all, do you have wood around you that you can just, I mean, did, I, saying something like that is just so tempting. I know, right? <laughs> I know. It, it is. And, and as I said, you know, we do have test houses that have hacked it. Um, and I won't get into the details on that unless you really want to. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly could be hacked under the perfect conditions. But what I'm saying is those perfect conditions haven't happened out in the field. So let's go back a bit and just say, look, we always had security, what we call S0. Um, Z-Wave was always secure, but the asterisk is it didn't require security on end devices. 
So if you built a, a dimmer or a sensor or something that wasn't required. S2, when we developed that, that's built on AES-138, 128, I'm sorry, AES-128 encryption, which is the exact same encryption that you get with online banking. And there's, again, there's, there's additional layers of security built on top of that. And we mandated that for 100% of Z-Wave devices um, in development for certification as of April 2017. What that means is you've got a very, very secure system within the Z-Wave environment, but the exposure happens in the gateway, right, where you're, you're jumping in on Wi-Fi or you've got perhaps less secure devices in that gateway. So a system with Z-Wave can get hacked, but it gets hacked through the Wi-Fi. It gets hacked through the, the Zigbee or the Bluetooth. It doesn't get hacked in through the, through the Z-Wave devices. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say it's never been hacked. Now, if you're a consumer and you see there are products out there that advertise S2, you just said that for certification for the last three years, S2 was required. It's mandated, correct. So is it really all that unusual these days that a product would be S2? I mean, how has it been adopted so far? Or are they just saying, are they just using S2 as a selling point? No, as a matter of fact, S2 isn't even something you'll find in the in the product descriptions. No, it's just a rolling change. Uh, we've got over 800 certified products in the marketplace right now with S2 in it. And we specifically did not create a logo for it because oh my gosh have you looked at how many logos are on the devices you know? actually i have because i'm selling some of my old devices on ebay yeah. and so <laughs> right? i have been looking at those logos mm. yeah so you know again to even get into that get another logo no we, we said no there's no reason to um any product you buy that was developed i'll say midway from april 2017 and on has S2 in it. And again, that's just something that's just a rolling change and just says, look, we're more and more secure. That's all. And of course, that will be a requirement in the 700 series. And if I can switch to another technology topic real quickly and say the 700 series now mandates another platform that Z-Wave has, which we call Smart Start. Mm, yeah. Right. And now you wanted to get into that at some point. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I, you know, from the sound of it, it sounds like you're going to make onboarding easier. Is that what you're doing? You nailed it. That's exactly what it is. One of the well, one of the many uh, one of the top complaints you hear from consumers is the challenge in terms of including devices into a system. Each brand and each model has a different way. Press and hold this while tapping your right foot and rubbing your belly. I mean, every <laughs> no, that's the reset procedure. <laughs> right. <laughs> my gosh, so true. <laughs> so we developed a way that says um, we that uh, we started this, I want to say, a couple of years ago, that you could develop a product where you would put a QR code on the box and on the unit itself, as well as, as a long serial code. But hopefully a QR code, you get, a, you, you get your cell phone out. You get your QR reader loaded up. You, you basically uh, scan the QR code, and it will automatically be included into your Smart Start enabled gateway. And this can be done, by the way, you know, in your warehouse. So, Adam, you're your installers. You know, they can just basically uh, pre-configure all the devices before they even get leave the warehouse. And to, I guess, exemplify the success for smart start is to say that that is a platform that ring uses and again that was voluntary with the 500 series is voluntary if you want to use it this is we have this really cool technology ring jumped on it and so now ring uses it and obviously if it didn't work the way it's promised ring being an amazon company wouldn't be using it anymore with the 700 release we made smart start mandatory so obviously it's had a slower impact. We've only got about 250 devices with Smart Start on it. But again, every device being manufactured and being certified today 
must have both that S2 and the smart start included into it. Matter of fact, it's so successful that you've got Zigbee looking at how they want to do it. They want to implement a version of that. Uh, and also the folks over at the chip, you know, those working groups are also saying, how do we do this? So, you know, we've started something. Yeah, I mean, that that provisioning process and, and getting devices onboarded is so important. And it's uh, it's a key thing to get right. And just a huge source of frustration for yeah, consumers, pros, etc. So um, sounds like you guys have done a lot to overcome some of the turtles. Yeah, I'll tell you, just even tell a consumer the term of provisioning and they'll freak out and they don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I don't know how many times I've spoken with guests on my other show and they'll bring up the concept of provisioning. And then I'm th like I recoil because my reaction is that, first of all, we should never be using that word with consumers. It sounds too technical. It's jargon. It's going to confuse mm -hmm. them. You don't want anything that's going to be off-putting when it has to do with adopting your product, right? So, so true. that stuff is really important. Sounds like my conversations with my engineering team always is like, uh, we, we can't use that word. We can't <laughs> use that word to consumers. They don't know what that means. You, you got it. You got to make it simpler and, and things like that. So yeah, usually, you know, first version of docs and stuff will, will have words like provisioning in it. And I have to uh, get out the whip and say, nope. Absolutely. Nope. Well, and you still even have some hub software that uses the terms inclusion and exclusion, which are somewhat unique to Z-Wave and Zigbee, mm -hmm. but still jargon. And I, I, you know, I think we're at the point where people understand adding and removing. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, great. Yeah, I know. We use the term include, which that kind of makes sense. Include, exclude. Yeah, but only Z-Wave uses those terms. So you're right. Yeah, it's, it's confusing. So, all right. Well, so that's that's kind of the stuff that has been in the works and and uh, adopted recently. What I wanted to make sure we had a chance to talk about before we leave here is your latest announcement, which was uh, just about a week or so ago regarding Z-Wave long range or abbreviated Z-Wave LR. As many people know, Z-Wave, like other protocols, has a distance limit. And it's one of the reasons why you have Z-Wave repeaters. It's one of the reasons why with my largely Insteon home, I have Insteon repeaters. And you need to be able to mesh the signal or, or extend the signal somewhat if your devices can't talk over long ranges. Bluetooth also. That's why we have Bluetooth mesh, although Bluetooth arguably has theoretical ranges that are longer than Z-Wave previously offered. Now Z-Wave is addressing that. And tell us a little bit about how this solves the distance problem. But as I understand it, this isn't just about distance. This also addresses scale. Right. Nice setup. Thank you, Richard. Um, so I think first we need to acknowledge the fact that Z-Wave as it stands now does a pretty darn good job being sub-gig in the majority of home cases. And by utilizing, I don't like to use the term repeater because the mesh network that Z-Wave uses, the mesh is required in any device. So you know, I should say any powered devices. So you don't necessarily have to buy a repeater. Uh, a dimmer can be a repeater. Right. So, right. But either way, the, the distance limitations for Z-Wave right now are really not consequential in the majority of homes in the U.S. the way it is right now. And remember earlier on, I said something about different markets, different verticals. And so Z-Wave Long Range has been developed as a way of addressing, I'll just say, homeowners or homes that may be perhaps a lot bigger. You want to basically extend the distance that you can communicate between devices. We're saying very conservatively uh, a range increase of up to four times. We can go way beyond that. And 
the risk of getting a little bit technical, which is way out of my realm, the Z-Wave long range can now increase up to 30 dB worth of power. And that's quite significant. So if you've got a home where you want to get uh, an annunciator uh, an when a rural mailbox has been opened and mail been put in, or you want to get out to the pool house or to the edge of the yard, you know, this is where Z-Wave Long Range makes a huge, huge improvement. Back up a moment. Yes, it is still backwards compatible with all your devices. You could buy a Z-Wave Long Range device tomorrow, and it'll work perfectly well with your existing system. But if you do an update, and by the way, the 700 series is all updatable to Z-Wave Long Range. So if you've got a 700 series uh, gateway, that can be totally up- upgraded or updated, I should say, OTA over the air um, without having to connect up to a computer. It'll just simply enable uh, the update. Meaning that the manufacturer could send an update to that device. Correct. Correct. Exactly right. So, yeah, I think the extended distance with long range is a huge plus. It MDU, hospitality, corporate applications, you know. So, yes, that, that's a really important piece of it in terms of ed- to the edge of the yard and beyond in the home. But it does other things because now you don't have to carry the burden, the overhead, the software overhead of carrying a mesh. Right, because a mesh requires a lot of memory to understand what all the different pathways are, where all the devices are. We can now go upwards of over two thousand nodes on a single system. Nodes, okay, end devices, right? Upwards of two thousand versus the limitation currently of two hundred and thirty-two devices on a single uh, single gateway. So that's huge too. So now you've got longer distance capability and the ability to go over 2,000 devices. And, Richard, you may be close to that in your home, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but most homes aren't there. You know, most homes are, you know, uh, just fine with the limitation of 232. But when you start looking at, get the MDU, property management right. applications, uh, hospitality, hotels, things like that, that's, that's really significant. Well, and if you think about the future that we're moving to where sensors are installed everywhere and you have, you know, if every light switch in a home were automated and if every window and door had a sensor on it and if there were motion sensors in every room and, you know, you think about that, that does add up pretty quickly once you start to create that sort of environment. So it's not unrealistic that we could see that in a couple of years in more consumer homes. But I, I get the industrial and hospitality value as well. That makes a whole lot of sense there. I, now, when you're talking about increasing that scale, is it because more devices now have the ability to connect in more of a hub-and-spoke manner and not rely on mesh? Is that what's going on? Yeah, in terms of the actual overhead, yeah, exactly. So each device doesn't have to, like, wor- isn't isn't worried necessarily, for lack of a better word, of uh, about propagating the signal to now 1,999 other devices. Correct. Right. Right. I don't have to worry about being a repeater. Correct. I don't have to worry about, you know, remembering who I'm connected to so I know where to send the signal when I get it kind of thing, which is the the miracle of mesh. I mean, it's really amazing how well mesh works. But if you remove that overhead from a requirement, then, yeah, you can actually just use that power uh, to go, go longer distances. And that's exactly what we're doing. Interesting. And you're also claiming that you're going to be able to get better power consumption overall with this solution. Yep. Again, if you think about the the logic behind what you need to carry, the burden of mesh, if you remove that from a battery-operated device and say you only have to worry about communicating to the, you know, to the main hub, that's all you need to communicate to, then now we're saying you can get, you know, use a, uh, a coin cell battery and get 10 years life out of it, which essentially means you're almost to the point of disposable sensors now. So you've really yeah. made these sensors that much more available. They're physically smaller, uh, less overhead physically to carry within the device itself. 
And yeah, you can now, as you said, Richard, you can be putting sensors in your refrigerators and your lights. Literally, we're talking about being able to drop sensors into walls to determine if there's mildew you know, or mold in the walls, things like that. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of applications that are now going to be capable, uh, which were not really available at the time before this. I don't know if it was a happy coincidence or if you just set me up there, but uh, you know that that mailbox use case is one that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> and I ended up, I couldn't do it until Ring came out with their sensors built on the Ring modified proprietary protocol from Mr. Beams that they acquired that is yeah. really the predecessor mm-hmm to sidewalk, right? Like this is this long range concept of being able to connect devices that are far, far away uh, from your hub, much, much further than you would normally expect to. And I've never been able to get out to the street that way before. So this is Mm -hmm. exciting. I love this. Yeah. Sidewalk is a really interesting uh, uh, project because this is a long-term thing. This is like a 10 year project for them. I love what they're doing. And, at Silicon Labs and at Z-Wave, we're very engaged with them. I'll put it that way. Yep. Well, as a matter of fact, Jamie Simonoff, their founder, was the keynoter at a Silicon Labs event that, that I just watched yesterday uh, right. uh, from the day that we're recording. And he, he spoke about that. He spoke about their, their commitment and, and the project being a long-term vision. So it'll be interesting to see how stuff rolls out over the coming years, just what they've done already to be able to get devices into the yard that previously wasn't possible is wonderful. They're talking about distances even beyond that. Uh, I don't know if you saw in the news today, they hired a gentleman uh, uh, who, let's just say, comes out of a space program. So I don't know if you've seen any of that uh, information. More of that will be coming out, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, uh, talk about long range. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. Now, you you said, I think jokingly, that if I went out tomorrow to buy a sensor that was Z-Wave long range, it would be compatible can I buy one tomorrow or are these things that are coming out in the future? No. So what happened is the, uh, you know, again, so Z-Wave is now the Z-Wave Alliance is a standards development organization. So even though this was developed uh, within the Silicon Labs engineering team, it is now donated to the Z-Wave Alliance and the Z-Wave Alliance has released the specification. That's all that's out now. It's a spec. Now you need to develop with products. The uh, good news is we have three alpha testers, sizable organizations, I might add. You can infer what you wish, but we have three sizable organizations in alpha test as we speak now. Our expectation is it'll be in beta by late Q4 2020, and that is realistic, I'm saying. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you will have it available in beta. Generally speaking, when we say beta, it means that it's not yet ready for certification. That's really all. Uh, and then we expect general announcement to come out in, I'll say, I'll say late Q1. So the reality is, yes, you'll see product available for purchase, um, certainly in Q2 next year. Nice. So yeah, it's coming. Yeah. We'll be out there before Chip will have product. Oh, nice little burn there. The no, that wasn't. Down. wasn't <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see the quote now. Um, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot easier when we're one company, you know, putting this out. Uh, it, it's a chip's got the challenges. And as I said early on, I am a big supporter of chip and love to see that come out, but it's just going to take longer. That's all. No, that makes complete sense. That makes complete sense. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate all of the information on what you've been up to and the improvements to the platform over the years. Normally, we would have a question from a listener here, but we don't have one right now. So Adam, if people wanted to send us questions, how could they do that? Yeah, if you want to fill this space in future shows, uh, send us a smart home question with the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow and we'll pick one for a future episode. Mitch, where can people find out more about what the Z-Wave Alliance is up to and 
what your partners are bringing to market. I would go to the zwavealliance.org. We'll put a hashtag in there. Z, I'm sorry, yeah. Zwavealliance, the hyphen, I mean, z-wavealliance.org. Or feel free at any point to reach out to me. Uh, also at Mitch at zwavealliance.org. All right. Very, very good. Adam, how can people find you if they want to find out what you're up to at ConnectSense? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and everything my company's doing at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me at the Digital Media Zone, thedigitalmediazone.com. And I am on Twitter at Richard Gunther. The Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of tech-focused podcasts that includes Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and my other show, Home On. And you can find our shows and their associated show notes at smarthome.fm. If you want to send us feedback, you can do that at feedback at smarthome.fm. And you can find our show pretty much anywhere. Apple Podcasts, Overcast, anywhere that you go for your podcasts. If you like it, do us a favor, leave us a rating or tell a friend about the show. Mitch, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Really appreciate it. I'm thrilled that you had me on and I really enjoy this. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.